Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. We thank you that you're not the God who created to be silent, but you are the God who created and speaks, and speaks most fully through Jesus, your Son. And we ask this evening that as we hear your word, that we would indeed listen, and we would indeed live in light of what you say to your glory and for our good. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, when we preach the Psalms through the summer break like this, uh, there hasn't been much of a summer. <laughs> I don't know if you found that. Too much rain. A bit over it. But uh, when, when we preach the, the summer psalms, as we call them, uh, through the Christmas break and uh, holiday break, often it's preacher's choice. So preacher gets to choose what psalm they want to preach from. Whatever you want, go for it. It's uh, as long as someone else hasn't picked it yet. And now there are many psalms I could have chosen for today. Uh, 150 different psalms to be exact. So why Psalm 63? Why of all the Psalms, Psalm 63? Well, I chose this Psalm because I find this Psalm hard. Uh, this is a Psalm that I often pray of a morning. So I use the Prayer Mate app. I don't know if you do. I find it helpful. And uh, about once every two weeks or so, Psalm 63 comes up on my Prayer Mate app. And I pray through this Psalm. I pray in light of this Psalm. And I find it hard. Uh, not because it's a difficult psalm to understand. It's actually quite an easy psalm to understand. And uh, as we'll see in a moment, it's one of those ones that gives us the context, uh, that, that tells us the, the scenario, the context in which it was written, which usually makes it that bit easier to understand. But I find this psalm hard because of what it says. It's hard because of how magnificently and how awesomely David speaks about God in this psalm. I don't know if you found that as Benny read it out for us as you followed in your Bible. If you followed closely, as it was read out, you hear David's devotion for his God. You hear David's heart towards his God. You hear and, and feel his emotion for his God. And you think, wow, you know, he's someone who truly knows the glory of God. He's someone who truly knows Yahweh, the one true God, and all that he is, and so therefore glorifies him in his words in this psalm. And my guess is, as we spend time in this psalm, uh, reflecting on our God, we'll be both inspired this evening and encouraged to have that same devotion as David did, and yet we'll realize, but I'm not like this. Uh, I don't do this. Uh, I don't have that sort of devotion, at least not always. I find this Hard. So we're going to go on a bit of a journey this evening with this psalm. It's, it's a highly emotive psalm, and so we, we do rightly need to feel uh, the emotion. But my hope is by the end, especially as we consider these words in light of Jesus, uh, my hope is by the end that we will be able to confess with David there in verse 3 that God's faithful love is better than life, better than life itself. That's my hope for tonight. So let's begin, and we uh, again must really begin with the context of this psalm. And if you look at the very top of the psalm, just under where it says Psalm 63, you see there that we're given the context. And uh, you can ignore the bit in bold, the bit that says, uh, praise God who satisfies. You can ignore that. That's the, the title that the Bible translation, uh, translators give it, and they can be good uh, and bad. So feel free to ignore that. But the bit under that, that's in italics, that's the original uh, biblical manuscript. That, that was there in the original. And it tells us that this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And from the very beginning, that's an important bit of information for us. Because as we read these words of David, 
Uh, David isn't speaking of some metaphorical dry land in his life. Uh, in verse 1, this isn't a psalm that we think, ah, oh, this is you know, a metaphorical time in the wilderness of my life. This is the, the, the deserts of my life and my living. No, no, David was literally in the wilderness. Uh, and those who intend to destroy him, have a quick look at verse 9. Verse 9, the enemies are mentioned of David. They're not metaphorical enemies. We're not to read that and think, ah, this is, you know, demons on the inside. Or uh, this is, you know, my arch nemesis in my workplace who manipulated the boss and got a promotion instead of me. That's the enemy. No, no, literal enemies for David. There are men seeking to kill him. And so as we read this, we need to read it well. We need to understand the context to read this properly. And given what we know about uh, David's life in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, there are two occasions when he was in the wilderness in Judah. Uh, the first time was when he'd already, be anointed, already been anointed as king. He was young and he was anointed to be the next king, but he wasn't yet the king. And you might remember all those uh, chapters of 1 Samuel where uh, King Saul was the king at the time. And King Saul, he hated David. And he pursued David and he wanted to kill him. And David, he loved King Saul. He was devoted to him, but King Saul pursued him and he wanted to kill him. And so David uh, hid and uh, ran off into the wilderness to, to, to basically save himself. But the second occasion when David found himself in the wilderness of Judah was when he was older. And when he'd been king for a while and his own son Absalom wanted to rebel against him and kill him. And again, you might remember the story. Uh, Absalom wanted to take the crown of his father, David. And so Absalom took over the city of Jerusalem and David had to flee because Absalom pursued him to kill him. Because he thought, hey, if I kill dad, then I'm the king. I get the crown. And we can't be sure which of those two occasions is in view here in Psalm 63. Is it the younger David or, or the older David? We don't know for sure. But, uh, but either way, regardless, in both scenarios, be it King Saul or David's own son Absalom, both those men were dear and near to David. He loved them. And both those men whom he loved wanted to kill him. And because of that, he fled into the desert. And because of that, he was betrayed as David. And he was betrayed as God's anointed king. That's the context. And so we need to read this and pray this psalm because the psalms are there for us to pray. We need to pray this psalm in light of that context. We need to make sure we understand it well. But having said all that, we're in a nicely air-conditioned building. Uh, those at home are probably sitting on a nice comfy couch with a beverage in their hand and maybe some nibblies. Uh, we're not in the wilderness, right? And uh, none of us here, as far as I know, are being pursued by an army of men wanting to kill them. I don't think any of you have sons who are trying to kill you. Uh, if you do, let me know. That's a problem. Uh, that's not our context, right? So given those things, does that mean this psalm is unrelatable to us? Well, actually, no. I actually want us to see that in understanding David and David's particular situation as he wrote this psalm, in understanding all that was involved, that will make this psalm more relevant for us, more real more power, more powerful, more relatable as we imagine ourselves as David in that situation. So now that we've uh, done the context, let's have a look from verse 1. And this is point 1 on your outlines. Make sure you've got your Bible there. Psalm 63, verse 1, David writes, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. 
and a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. And again, I must admit, every time I read that verse, I think to myself, wow, I don't do that. I, I, I don't seek God in that way often. I can't say that I thirst for God in that way all the time. My body doesn't faint for God in that way. And as we remember that David here probably was very short of physical water. He's in the desert. He ran for his life. It's not like he could pack up his camels full of water and and take it with him. He ran for his life. He's probably short of water, physical water. And the land he looked out to while he was in the wilderness of Judah, it was dry. It was desolate. It was void of the water that he so yearned for. And as you think of that, this makes David's words here even more powerful. Uh, I suspect that very few of us have ever truly thirsted for water. Uh, Sure, there are those times as kids you can probably remember when you were out all day in the summer sun, um, you know, before daylight savings, and it was really long days, and you're out all day, and then you're running the house, and mum and dad would say to you, wow, you're as red as a tomato, because you're in the sun, and sunburnt, and dehydrated, and then you go, oh yeah, I'm thirsty, I need to drink something, so you go to the tap, and you know, a litre of water gets consumed in about half a second, but, but that true sense of thirst, that idea where you're surviving on milliliters of water per day in a hot, dry desert, I, I don't think any of us have ever been in that scenario. Uh, if you have, tell me about it. I'd be interested. But, but that's the image here. In David's true thirst and his real desire for, for water, for physical water, that for him is a real-life image of how much he yearns and earn, earnestly thirsts for his God, desires his God, wants to seek his God. That's the image. And that is right and good and apt for any follower of the Lord. But as I read this and pray this, I confess, but I don't. I don't seek God like this, at least not always. And what about for you? Now, do you read this and think, well, yeah, that's me. I, I thirst for God in that way. I seek for him in that way. Or do you think, I wish that was me? Uh, I wish I was more like David here, so earnest, so devoted. You see, this psalm, I think, is both inspiring and motivating and depressing and disheartening at the same time. It's, it's inspiring because this is how the follower of God should respond to God. If you know God, if you know who he is, then you want to be like this. It's the only right response to be like this, given who God is and how magnificent he is. But it's depressing because then we know we fail and we don't do this. And we can be so fickle in our devotion and our seeking after our Lord. But here is why it's helpful to remember we read and pray this word of God, knowing that God's means for his word here is the life and mouth of David. Because David is a sinful follower of God like you and me. And he did not seek and thirst for God in the way that he does here, perfectly, unceasingly, seeking and thirsting all his life. Uh, Just think of 2 Samuel 11. You might remember this. It's a bit of a famous, a sad, famous story of David. Uh, 2 Samuel 11, it was the time where the kings marched off to war. And uh, so, you know, it was a time where these armies from different nations would be gathered and they would war against each other to extend their nations. And 2 Samuel 11, it was a times where the kings marched off to war and David was a king. But what did David do, if you remember? He stayed at home and he stayed in his palace. And you might remember when his army was off fighting in his name for his nation. What did David do? He went on the rooftop of his palace 
And what did he see? He saw the very beautiful woman Bathsheba bathing on a nearby rooftop. And at that point, I doubt that David's desiring and thirsting was for his God. Uh, Given what David did next, his desire was very much elsewhere. It lay very much elsewhere. You see, David was a sinful human being like you and me. And uh, we'll see this later on, that, that actually it's Jesus who's the model of this psalm who we are to seek to follow. But at this point, I don't want us to be in complete despair as we read this psalm, as we read of David and he's thirsting for God. Because we, like David, are sinful human beings. And in reading this psalm and thinking of David as a sinful human like us, this should affect us in those two ways. We should read this and think, but I don't eagerly seek God in this way all the time. But then we should pray this psalm for ourselves. That's why it's here. It's for us to pray it. We should pray and say, help me, God, to desire you in this way, to be like the anointed king in this psalm, which, as we'll see, is seen so perfectly in Jesus the king. But see, that's why this psalm is one that we should pray and one that I have in my prayer mate app. Uh, Because this is asking God for us to be the way we should be, the way he's created us to be. Uh, No doubt it's why Israel would have sung and prayed this psalm themselves. That's why Israel had this as a collection. They prayed these psalms as a nation, that they might seek God in this way no matter what circumstance they had in their life. And I didn't know this until I prepared the sermon, but, but supposedly the early church, so, you know, think 100 AD, 200 AD, uh, they prayed this psalm and sung this psalm a lot. They said that not a day should pass without the public singing of Psalm 63. And uh, we've got talented musicians in our church, so perhaps somebody can uh, write some music to this psalm and then we can sing it for ourselves of a Sunday. Now, I realize I've only covered one verse. Don't worry. Don't fret. Uh, I'm going to move much more quickly through the rest. And what we see in the rest of the words of David here in this psalm is how he sought his Lord. So look from verses 2 to 5, and we're up to point 2 now. So eagerly I seek you, says David, verse 1. And in verse 2, how does he do this? Well, I gaze on you, God, in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. Verse 3, my lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will praise you as long as I live at your name. I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me, God, as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And so how does David seek his Lord? Well, he looks to him. He he beholds him. He gazes upon God's strength and, and God's glory. And as a person does that, and I mean truly does that, you know, not in some fake way, you know, trying to think about God, where, where you actually pause and consider and, and behold our God as the creator of all things. And when you stop and you behold our God as the one who sustains and upholds the entire universe, and if ever God were for a moment to stop sustaining all happenings in all instances of this world, well, then all would fall to destruction. If ever a person properly and earnestly stops and beholds the the strength and glory of our God, remembering that God gives us everything, everyone, life and breath and all things, if you do that, there's only one response, right? You praise God. How can you not? And as David seeks and thirsts for his Lord in this way, in verse 5, he's satisfied. 
satisfied as with rich food. And in that day, that, that was kind of as good as it gets. You know, what's the, the glory of the, the human life in that time? Well, it's a great banquet, lovely food, a, a huge meal. And it's such an incredible statement, again, when you remember David's situation. Where is he? He's in the desert. And what's happening? He's, he's running for his life, waiting for these men to find him and kill him. And yet David can say in verse 5, in that moment of his hardship, no, no, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied in you, God, even though people want to kill me. And did you notice verse 3? And verse 3 really is the heart of this psalm. David says, my lips will glorify you, God. Why? Because your faithful love is better than life. It's, it's not the best thing in life. You know, there's all these good things and the best thing is God. No, no, no. It's better than life. And we can't mistake uh, David's words here as just some empty statement. You know, David was a rhetorician. He, he, he kind of liked words. He was a bit poetic. He wrote lots of psalms. David's just been pretty at this point. No, no. He's literally running for his life. His life is literally at risk. Humanly speaking, every inclination in his heart and his mind should be cursing God and, and abandoning God and blaming God. You know, why have you allowed me, God, your anointed king, to be pursued in this way? Why, God, have I been cast out of the city of God? Why am I running for my life? Why have I been betrayed by those dearest to me? Why, God, why, God, why, God? That should be what David says, but he doesn't. Nothing of the kind. I glorify you, God, because your faithful love is better than life. I've actually found some of the most encouraging times uh, in my personal Christian life to be those times when brothers and sisters have been suffering great hardships in their life, and yet they glorify God. I don't know if you know those sorts of situations yourself personally, but you, you see this, you know, be it their own personal physical suffering or the suffering of someone very dear to them, you know, a child or, or a father or a husband or a wife. And when death stares them in the face like that, they don't turn away from God. They don't abandon their God. In that moment, they glorify him. It's amazing. They rest in the promises of their God in their hardship. And they find this true satisfaction in God. Even though every other person who's not a Christian will look at them and think, you must be depressed you must be as angry as possible as God, but no, they glorify him. Now, this might sound uh, strange to say, but I love it when elderly saints in our church uh, say, I wish the Lord would take me. I love it when they say, if only my death shall come today. And when an elderly saint in our church says that, they don't say it because they despair this life. They don't say it because they've got some sort of you know, morbid death wish. Uh, they say it because they cannot wait to be with their Lord. They, they say it because they know after all their life experience, because they've had lots of it, after decades after decade of living on this earth, they know that God's faithful love, his steadfast love, that's better than life. They know they've lived life much more than many of us. And they say, no, 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 God's faithful love, that's better than this life, than anything this life can ever offer. I think we'd do well, actually, to learn more from our elderly saints. Uh, we don't quite believe Psalm 103 like they do. Uh, if you ask one of our uh, elderly saints from the morning congregations uh, to tell you, is Psalm 103 uh, true? They'd say, oh, yes, it's as true as truth itself. Uh, Psalm 103, it's up on the screen. It's a snippet of it. It says this, 
It says, as for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. And when the wind passes over it, it vanishes. And its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him. You see, our elderly saints know how quick and fleeting this life is. We are but grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. And they know that only God's faithful love is from eternity to eternity. And David, as he stared death in the face, at this point, he glorified his God. He knew the faithful, steadfast, never-failing love of God, and he glorified in the face of death. And like I said at the beginning, we we don't find ourselves in the wilderness. Uh, We don't find ourselves facing death pursued by those who want to kill us. But we can uh, associate ourselves with David. We can, when those hardships of this life come upon us, when they've come or if they come, or maybe for some of you now, this is real. This, this is a time of suffering and hardship for you. But we know when those times come, we can seek God, we can behold our God, we can praise our God. Why? Because his love is better than life. It is. His love is from eternity to eternity. That's better than this life. And this leads to verses 6 to 8 in point 3, because how else does David seek the Lord in that hardship? Well, he finds his help in the Lord. Look from verse 6. Verse 6, David says, When I think of you, God, as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches, because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you. Your right hand holds on to me. And so David, uh, here in his situation, uh, as he sits there in the middle of the night, he's on night watch, which means he's watching for the enemy, he's listening for sounds, looking for glimpses of shadows of, of the men who want to kill him. And in that moment, he doesn't wallow in despair. Rather, he looks to God as helper. Almost, almost insanely, he, he rejoices in that moment as he waits for his enemies to find him in the night to kill him. He rejoices knowing that he's safe ultimately under the wings of his God. And verse 8, he follows close to God. Uh, or other translations put it in this way. They, say, they put it like this, he, he clings to God, which is, I think, a really helpful image, clinging to God in those times. And often in life, it is those low moments when we realize it's only in the Lord that we can, we can ultimately find help. When all human help disappears or when human help betrays us, as it did here for David, or when human help is found wanting. Sometimes people want to help us. They, they yearn to help us, but they're human. They can't. It's beyond them. But it's never beyond God. He's always helper. He's always able. He's always powerful. His right hand always, ultimately, upholds those who are his. And it's a good lesson for us to learn here. You see, when difficulties come in the Christian life, and if they haven't come, they will come, the answer in that time is never to believe the lie of Satan. Don't believe the devil. Don't go, God's abandoned me. Don't think God's forgotten me. Don't think God doesn't love me. Don't think God is not for me. I'll search for help elsewhere. No, no. In those times, we must follow close to God. He will uphold. He does uphold. We just need to trust and remember that he will and does. And I love the imagery of a toddler and the parent to help us uh, think on this. Uh, When the toddler finds themselves in a spot of bother, just imagine a toddler, uh, they're in trouble. uh, And at that point, either they chuck a tanty, 
and they're kind of screaming and they, they, they're frustrated or whatever it is they're trying to do and mum and dad are trying to help but they're pushing mum and dad away and they want to do it themselves and they want to work it out uh, which usually ends in the toddler hurting themselves probably face planting or something like that and then the parents saying why didn't you hold my hand I told you to hold my hand why didn't you listen to me now look what happened not that I'm thinking of personal experiences but the wise toddler uh, the learned toddler who's probably face planted a few times before Uh, when they're in times of trouble you know what they do the wise toddler when they need help they come close to mum. they come close to dad and they cling to them they come to mum and dad because they know that mum and dad will uphold them it's like a toddler in front of a busy road you're just about to cross the road and the, the learned toddler comes close to dad and what does dad do dad firmly with his right hand grabs their wrist not their hand because sometimes they let go they grab the wrist So that as they cross the road, the dad keeps the young ones safe, keeps them secure, should they stumble as they cross the busy road. And you can imagine, I have this picture in my mind of when this happened for me, and the the toddler tumbles in, they're kind of hanging in the air type thing, just swinging. Uh, That's the imagery. You see, David knows that God upholds him, so he clings to God. And all this leads to great assurance for David. Look at verses 9 to 11 in point 4. From verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life, they will go into the depths of the earth and they will be given over to the power of the sword and they will become the jackal's prey. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will boast for the mouths of liars will be shut. And so David, in his hardship at this point in seeking his God and beholding his God and clinging to his God, He knows that ultimately those enemies will be dealt with. Uh, Even if the enemies did kill him, David knows that God is a God of justice. That that all enemies who oppose God and and put themselves against God's anointed one, well, they will be dealt with. David knows this. But I want to think as we finish on verse 11 in particular, and particularly how we read this psalm in light of Jesus, in light of the anointed king. And I alluded to this earlier, but you see, Jesus is the one who fulfills this psalm perfectly. David really is like you and me in lots of ways. He's a sinful human being like you and me. He, He only ever pointed forward as the anointed king to the anointed king, to Jesus who would come and live this psalm perfectly, unceasingly, seeking and thirsting for God always. You see, you read verse 11, and the king of verse 11 who rejoices in the Lord is ultimately in the end, Jesus. He's the anointed king. And as we think about that, I want to come back to where I started. You see, is this psalm, as we read it, in light of Jesus, is this a hard psalm to read? Is this hard to pray? Should we despair and find this hard when we remember that that ultimately Jesus fulfills this psalm? Well, my answer is yes and no. No, we shouldn't despair because Jesus has lived this psalm for us. Uh, Please don't forget this incredible truth of Scripture. I think we often forget this. Even in our preaching sometimes we don't accentuate this enough. You see, it's not just our sins that Jesus has dealt with. He has. He's dealt with our sins as those who trust in him. But Jesus has also dealt with our lack of righteousness. You see, God rightly demands that all his creatures, all of us, every human being whom God has created, God rightly demands that they live this psalm perfectly. 
You see, to be righteous before God is to perfectly seek Him and thirst for Him and desire Him and faint for Him and glorify Him all of your life, every millisecond of your life. That is what we've been created to be and to do. And God has the right to demand that of us. He's Creator. He made us to live that way. That's our created purpose. But we know we don't. Maybe sometimes, in moments we do, but not perfectly. And so we can never be righteous before God. That is part of our human problem. Yes, we have the problem of sin, but we also have the problem that we're not righteous. And and God, as righteous, and us as unrighteous sinners, we can't go together. You can't be reconciled to God if you are unrighteous. But you see... That's what Jesus has done for us. He's lived that perfect life in our place. And all those who trust in Jesus, Jesus gives to them his righteousness. Again, it's the only reason we can call God Father. It's the only reason we can be in the presence of God by God's Holy Spirit. We could not do that if we were not righteous. And the only reason we are righteous is because we're righteous in Christ. We're righteous because Jesus has died for our sins, yes. But on top of that, he's also lived and resurrected for our righteousness. So important that we understand and remember this. And when we read this psalm, knowing that Jesus has done this for us, it changes how we read and pray this psalm. We pray this and read this and we rejoice. It's not hard in that way. It's a relief. We, we pray this psalm as a prayer of thanksgiving to God for Jesus, for our righteousness in him. It's the only reason, because of Jesus, that we can stand righteous before God. But we also know that Jesus has saved us to be like him. And we're actually saved to be perfectly righteous, to live righteously. To, to be those of verse 11 who like the king in verse 11 who swear by God by seeking for him and thirsting for him and glorifying him. We're not to be like the liars whose mouths get shut, the enemies who oppose themselves against God's king. And so there's two purposes in a sense in this psalm. We pray it and we thank God, but also as we aim to live out this psalm, we pray this psalm asking for God's help. We're to live like Jesus, the king of this psalm, and that's hard. And because it's hard, we pray for God's help. We pray asking God to help us to be like Jesus, to seek him perfectly, to thirst for him. And so I really want us to be encouraged out of tonight to pray this psalm. Pray it for yourself. That is what this psalm is here for. Pray it for others in our church. Pray it for each other. And the amazing thing is, as we pray Psalm 63, the people of God have been doing that for 3,000 years. Since the time of David when he penned this, they've been praying and singing this psalm. And so what we're going to do now as we finish is we're going to pray for each other in light of Psalm 63. But uh, instead of using the words of the psalm, because we've kind of looked at those already, and in a sense we've prayed it for each other as we thought about it together, I actually want to pray in light of uh, the prayer of Ephesians chapter 3, which is what Benny read out for us from the New Testament. Because like I said before, that the heart of this psalm is what David says in verse 3. Again, remember, why is it that that given his circumstance in the desert and people trying to kill him, that, that David can say, I seek for God and thirst for God and glorify God? Why can he say that? It's because he knows the faithful love of God and that that love's better than life. 
And Ephesians chapter 3, it's a beautiful prayer. It's actually what Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. And in his prayer for them, and really it's, it's a right prayer for us, he prays that we might comprehend that faithful love of God. It's beautiful language it's, uh, that you might know the love of the Messiah that surpasses all knowledge. Isn't that amazing? How, how can you know something that surpasses all knowledge? Well, that's, that's the breadth and le- length and width of God's love. It's incredible. And so we're going to pray this for ourselves now that we might understand better God's love for us in Jesus the Messiah and live for him. Uh, it's going to come up on the screen and it's a slightly amended version to help us pray it. But uh, we're going to do it together and out loud. So please uh, pray this with me as we finish. We pray, God, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with power in our inner being through your spirit, and that the Messiah may dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of your love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so we may be filled with all your fullness. Now to you, God, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To you, God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.